Hello everyone and welcome to Just a Position, the podcast where we explore mental health, vulnerability, and personal life journeys. So if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Just a Position YouTube channel and leave a comment if you find anything of interest in these episodes. And you can stream episodes wherever you listen to your podcast, Spotify, Odyssey, Apple, there's new episodes out every Thursday. And I am so excited for this episode because if you guys haven't seen my first solo episode that I ever did, it was about travel stories of my time spent in Egypt and just it it was absolutely chaotic. If you want to have a good laugh, make sure you go listen to that episode because there's some really interesting, very life-changing experiences that I was able to enjoy during my time in Egypt. But in this episode today, I'm really excited for this solo episode because I'm going to be talking about some travel stories from my time that I spent in Vanuatu. Now, if you aren't familiar with Vanuatu, it is an incredible island country located near Fiji um, with some of the most beautiful kind people that I've ever met in my entire life. And there was some crazy shit that went down there, y'all. Oh my God. Like whether it be, you know, me living with the chief of a tribe, tribal ceremonies, getting deathly sick, or the most insane story that I've wanted to share literally since the beginning of my YouTube channel, how I almost was killed. Um, Yeah, I'm going to get into these stories. They're absolutely insane. And I'm really excited to talk about them. So let's just jump into it. But I first want to talk about like why the hell I was even in Vanuatu in the first place. So I was able to spend a good amount of time in Vanuatu. I think I spent about two and a half months there, I think, if my memory serves me correctly. It was a while ago. Basically, uh, when I was in college, I was fortunate enough to be studying international cultural studies and um, anthropology, as well as intercultural peace building. And in my time there, I was able to meet an incredible person. His name is William, um, who we became really close. And he was partnering with another student at my college um, who was from Vanuatu to launch a nonprofit organization. And This nonprofit organization was focused on connecting people who live in Vanuatu, specifically children, with education. Now, to break down basically the very complex scenario that was present in Vanuatu, and it is still even present to this day, um, Vanuatu is a country that I think is absolutely amazing. First off, because Vanuatu is a, a nation that where the people are completely reliant on the land, where life there is very simple. And in my opinion, really how humans should be living life. They're fully reliant on the land. Um, They, you know, basically get their food from where they live um, or not where they live, but they get their food from the land. Um, They live, you know, um, a lot of times without electricity, without running water. And life is very simple. And it's, it's a beautiful manifestation of how I think humans are really meant to live. And uh, while there are so many benefits, I think, to living that type of lifestyle, um, one of the challenges was is that getting an education in Vanuatu was very, very difficult. And I can't speak for the situation now. I have no idea if there's been, you know, political changes or or what it looks like economically within the country. But at that point in time, um, education was very hard to come by. Um, basically, the cost of a single child's education would be more than what a family earns in an entire year. And that's just to send the kid to school for one year. Every single year, the price of education would consistently increase to the point that less than 0.1% of the students in Vanuatu would actually graduate high school. And you can imagine how few would be able to go to college from here on out. And uh, the person that I knew who worked, who was starting the nonprofit organization, her name is Macklin. She is oh my god, absolutely incredible, like one of the most inspiring people I know. She was able to 
graduate from high school and go to my college. And it really took her entire village, her entire community, um, all raising funds in order to provide her with the opportunities to get the education that she did. And now she's making incredible changes in, in policies and, and the political environment within Vanuatu and just doing absolutely incredible work. But at that point in time, um, they had started a nonprofit organization. And when I met William, I was like, okay, this seems really cool. I really want to be able to help. At that point in time, I was really looking for opportunities to become more involved with nonprofit organizations because that's really what I wanted to do with my life. And to be honest, that's still what I want to do with my life. I, I you know, in addition to what I'm already doing with Selfless by Hiram, being able to partner with nonprofit organizations, I really do want to spend the rest of my life working with and partnering with nonprofit organizations. So when I met him, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the perfect opportunity. What can I do for you? I will literally do anything for free. I just want to help make an impact. And so I was able to start working with him as he, you know, built um, and really started bolstering up this nonprofit organization. And essentially what it did was being able to better provide families in Vanuatu with funding in order to send their kids to school and being able to provide kids in Vanuatu with high quality educations that would allow them to be better connected with opportunities to graduate high school and hopefully from then on out be able to go to college. So it was a really incredible organization. Um, I loved that it was run by someone who was actually from Vanuatu. That was why I was drawn to it in the first place and I wanted to become as involved as, involved as I could. So I volunteered with this organization for a long time uh, before I finally was given the opportunity by both William and Macklin when they told me, hey, would you like to come to Vanuatu with us? Uh, we would love to take you there and kind of show you um, the project sites, be able to introduce you to the children, um, be able to experience the country. And I was like, um, this is literally my dream come true. Like at that point in time, I hadn't traveled a whole lot. And so I was just absolutely thrilled at the opportunity. And I was able to visit Vanuatu on two different occasions. The first one was for a very short duration, but the second time I was able to spend over a month in the country, <clears throat> which was life-changing to say the least. And literally one of my favorite moments of my life, periods of my life, was this time that I spent in Vanuatu. And I'm just gonna jump into the stories because they are so wild. I feel like you guys are not gonna believe me. I feel like you're gonna be listening to this and be like, yeah, right, Hiram, that did not happen to you. Because every time I tell people these stories, they're like, are you being serious right now? Like, are this, are this, you're not making this up? You're being really serious? And I'm like, yes. I promise, like I get it, I wouldn't have believed these things if they hadn't have happened to me, but they're wild. Let's just jump into them. So first I wanna introduce you guys to the type of living environment that I was in when I spent time in Vanuatu. When I was there, I was traveling with other students and educators in order to work with students to provide them with a better education and give them the opportunity to work with this nonprofit. And so um, during my time there, um, one of the most incredible things about it was that it, it wasn't traditional tourism. It wasn't, you know, go off to this tropical location and relax by the beach with a cocktail while you, you know, pretend to do this life-changing work for people and feel so much better about yourself. It wasn't that type of toxic charity model. Um, what we were able to do is live with the chief of a tribe in Vanuatu. Now, uh, where we were on the specific island was an island that is known for not being very open to modern technological advances. Um, to give you guys reference, one of the villages that was next to us, um, they had constructed a cell phone tower in order to get cell reception um, to a large part of the island. And uh, the native uh, indigenous people there actually like took ropes and 
pulled the cell phone tower down with their own hands as a statement to say, we don't want modern development, we don't want technology, all these things. And I find that really, really cool and inspiring because having been able to live in Vanuatu or spend a good amount of time, you know, in Vanuatu, not live there because I was only there for a few months. Um, it really, you know, opened my mind to the pure peace and tranquility and contentment with life that they're able to experience that I think is really sucked away from us who do kind of experience uh, countries that may have, you know, more modern technology than say what is available or present in Vanuatu. They very intentionally did not want that because they were very happy with their lives. And I think that's absolutely beautiful because while I was able to spend time there and living with the chief of a tribe, it was so peaceful and just so beautiful. Not only are the people just so unbelievably kind, warm, and loving, like, wow, these people would do anything to, you know, help their neighbor, to help anyone around them. Um, to give you guys reference, because the people primarily live off the land, you never saw, like, I personally never saw people who lived in poverty, which was uh, kind of, you know, a, a juxtaposition <laughs> um, to a lot of the other countries that I've traveled to where I unfortunately have seen a lot of, you know, very extreme poverty where people were denied opportunities to uh, have food, have drinking water, all these different things. But in this country, because everyone collectively lived off the land, uh, it ensured that everyone was able to essentially live equally and uh, have access to food, shelter, and water. And it, it, that was so beautiful to see. So um, it, it was a, it's a very different type of lifestyle, a very different culture. And it was so incredible to be able to be really integrated in it and see firsthand the type of life these people lived. And the chief of the tribe that we lived with was so kind um, to offer up where he lived to us um, in order to stay there. Now, uh, to give you guys reference, it was very, it was very simple lifestyle. There's no electricity, there was no running water, there really wasn't cell signal service, but I was able to get cell signal service if I climbed on top of a palm tree and kind of shimmied up and then held the phone to my ear. I was able to have one phone call um, by going up a palm tree and being able to uh, to get there. But besides that, there really wasn't like a lot of cells. There really wasn't cell signal where we were. And we were in the middle of the jungle, like way out in, in the absolute middle of the jungle. Um, to give you guys reference too of like how different life was there, um, a tribe that wasn't right next to us, but was kind of near us um, is a cannibalistic tribe. So just a very different life. And it was absolutely incredible. So we got to live there, um, sleep there for the, the few months and uh, experience what life was like without, uh, you know, running water and without electricity. So I would take showers with, you know, a, a little bucket um, of water that I would collect from the rainwater that would very, you know, uh, often, oftenly, very regularly happen there. Sorry, I don't know why I tripped up over my words. Um, I would collect the rainwater and then take showers using that. Um, the food was all collected from the land. So uh, whenever you know I was hungry, I was able to take my machete and go uh, climb up some trees or go find some fruit trees and just chop off the fruit and be able to eat it, which was really, really cool. Like talk about such an incredible, cool experience, um, being able to just solely live off the land. Um, the food I will admit was the most difficult part of living there solely because their primary sustenance was, you know, mostly starch like, um, a sweet potato, um, you know, a greens, 
but there wasn't a lot of meat, understandably so, because the closest meat available was, you know, fish from the ocean. And that was not a far walk away, but it was like a I think like a few hours walk away. So meat wasn't as common. And of course, because there's no electricity, there's no refrigeration. So eating the same, you know, meal of, of starch and greens uh, for every meal every day was a little bit of a challenge, but nothing that was anything serious, uh, of course, like coming from the environment, you know, that I was in before living in Hawaiian college and having access to a lot more food options definitely helped me realize how fucking spoiled I am to have all this type of food option and how I just needed to get over myself and just enjoy the food that they had there. And I did. It, it was really incredible to like uh, see the gardens that um, the people who lived in Vanuatu had and be able to try the different foods. So day-to-day -day life was very, very simple. Um, it was basically, you know, like ensuring that food was, you know, ready to be eaten, was collected from the land, um, eating food, uh, helping out at the school. And that was about it. And then the rest of the time, you literally just spent sitting, thinking, talking to, you know, other villagers. Uh, and that was a big change for me. I was like, oh my God, I am not used to this. And spending a few months in that environment definitely made me a little bit stir crazy because I am the person who is just like, I need to be doing something all the time, all this stimuli. I want to be, you know, working constantly, all this stuff. But I think it came at the right time in my life to help me realize like, you know, how life is really meant to be lived and how in our society where we're constantly so inundated with work and tasks and things to do and stimuli that that really is not what our brains are really made to do. And this is the type of life that our brains and just genetically were best accustomed to. So that's a little bit of an introduction of kind of like the environment there. Now, like, let's get into the juicy stories. Um, there was a lot of really cool experiences that I was able to have there. Um, one of the things that was really fascinating to me, and I especially love this because I studied anthropology and I've always had a very uh, engaged interest in an anthropology cultures, learning about the practices of, you know, societies around the world. And one of the uh, things I was able to attend while there in the village right next to us was a circumcision ceremony. So in this circumcision ceremony, um, they essentially, when they would circumcise the boys, um, they would leave them inside the huts uh, that they had built. Everyone primarily lived in huts. Uh, they're uh, made out of uh, the palm tree, like the palms and, and uh, different different plants that they found from around. I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> Basically, they collected all the stuff that they found around to create huts that they would uh, live out of. And so um, during the circumcision ceremony, uh, essentially at the point of the ceremony, these boys who had been circumcised 30 days prior had spent the entire 30 days in the dark um, of the huts healing and recovering from the procedure that had been done um, before at the ceremony being paraded out in front of the entire village as a celebration of their manhood, of them becoming men officially. And it was, you know, a really big ceremony and it, it was incredible to see people in their traditional um, uh, attire, um, in, in their, I don't know how to describe it, outfits, I guess you could say. They're, they're beautiful, sacred, traditional outfits um, that they would wear and dance and celebrate. It was really incredible. And when I've told people this story before, I, I've seen people have a little bit of a judgmental look in their eyes. Um, and before you judge or before you're just like, what the heck, that is so weird, circumcision ceremony, um, there's a lot of things 
that are really fucking weird about our own culture that I think you know, might need a little bit of reflection too. And uh, one of the things that's so important in anthropology, but just I think when it comes to being a human being on this earth, is being open-minded and respectful and having a mental positioning of wanting to learn about the practices of other cultures and withholding all judgment um, because judgment is really rooted in your own worldview and not being open-minded. And so it was, it was really fascinating to be at this ceremony. And one of the most like a uh, eye-opening parts of the ceremony was that uh, it was time for a huge feast to celebrate all these boys who had been circumcised. And so they brought out a live pig, this huge, huge pig. Um, and they paraded the pig out in the middle of everyone. And, I was, you know, the pig was like adorable. I was like, oh my God, so cute. Um, I, lo I love that they're like celebrating, you know, this pig. I, I had no idea what it had to do with the ceremony, but I was like, this is really cool. And I see someone take this big ass bat this huge wooden bat and go up to the pig and just immediately start bashing the skull in of the pig um i'm not gonna go into detail about the sounds what, what that was like um but it was definitely a little bit of a shock and i remember the people i was with we kind of turned to each other and just were kind of like oh oh my god we were not expecting that um and you know everyone celebrated and everyone you know ate the pig um as celebration for all the boys circumcision and so that was like an example of like whoa something that was definitely like different than what I would ever see in my own culture and um I think really it, it was really comforting to see how strong their community was and how much support and love they had for one another um translated through those cultural practices um and so yeah it was very interesting so that that's one of the interesting stories that happened and let me get into the really intense stories now these are like the ones that were like life altering life threatening juicy juicy so let's get into them Okay, so the first story is is really interesting and maybe some people would look at it as like kind of traumatizing and really scary, but I personally look back on it as a really cool and just incredible cultural experience. So let's get into it. There was one night where I was, you know, um, sleeping at night um, and immediately for some reason I started feeling extremely nauseous and I had no idea why. I was just feeling very sick to my stomach and I didn't really know why because I was like, well, all the food that we're eating here is very is very mild on the stomach. There's nothing that would, you know, really cause a super upset stomach or cause me to throw up. So. I was, I, I didn't really know what it was about, but I felt super nauseous and I was trying to get some sleep. And then I immediately remember like jolting awake, turning to my side and just projectile vomiting everywhere. And let me just say that, you know, I envy the people that are able to throw up quietly because that is not my path. That is not my journey. Unfortunately, I am the type of person where when I throw up, everyone within a five mile radius will hear. <laughs> For some reason, every time I throw up, it sounds like an exorcism is literally happening. It, it sounds like I'm screaming. Uh, it's very loud. It's very dramatic because uh, of course I have to be dramatic. <laughs> uh, no, I actually hate it and uh, it's very embarrassing. But yeah, so I started throwing up and sure enough, the whole village woke up uh, as soon as I started throwing up. And uh, so as I'm throwing up, I kind of like crawl outside and I lay on the ground in the dirt and I was feeling freezing cold and I didn't really know why. And after I finished throwing up, 
my body just started really violently convulsing. I wouldn't call it a seizure because I was completely coherent the whole time. Like I, I was awake, I could see what was going on, but my entire body was really violently convulsing. I have no idea why. And in the moment I was really confused and I didn't know what it was because it wasn't a matter of like dehydration or just being really sick because I've been super sick before. Um, I've had really violent flu bouts, but this was not that. Um, it, it literally looked like I was having a seizure basically. So I feel really bad for the people who had no witness that because everyone was awake and everyone was surrounding me in a circle um, trying to figure out what to do. And I remember just thinking to myself, Hiram, stop it. This is so fucking embarrassing. Stop having a seizure. Everyone's looking at you. You're being so dramatic, like just stop it. But I could not stop. I, I was just nonstop convulsing. And then, you know, turning to my side, throwing up, convulsing back and forth. It was a super fun time. I, I loved it. <laughs> and so uh, I really didn't know what it was from. I had low-key wondered if it was a centipede bite because uh, the centipedes they have in Vanuatu um, are poisonous. And when you get stung by a centipede, you can have some really bad adverse reactions. You essentially, you have to go to a hospital if you're stung by a centipede, uh, a specific type of centipede that they have there. And so I was like, maybe I was stung by a centipede and it's like a scorpion type of reaction and that's why I'm seizing on the ground. I don't know. Um, sorry, I don't want to call it a seizure because I, I don't want to say it was that. I have no idea what it was, but uh, again, violent convulsions, all that kind of stuff. So I'm on the ground and I see um, the villagers and um, the people that I'm with in my group kind of debating back and forth what to do. And they're like, okay, we should probably take him to the hospital, um, which the hospital was like... I think it was like an hour and a half drive away. And thankfully, um, I believe the chief, he did have a car which is not very heard of uh in the part of the island that we are at it was just not common to have a car um by walking it would have taken oh my god like pff, half the day at least to get to the hospital because it was really far away um but i had already previously been to the hospital and i had seen the hospital and i knew that the type of medical supplies they had there um would not necessarily help me. Um, the, the medical supplies were very simple, very, very basic. Um, and for anything like life-threatening or anything that was really severe, typically you had to be flown to Fiji um, in order to resolve that. So they were debating taking me to the hospital and I was like, do not take me to the hospital because I'm fine. I'm totally fine as I'm like literally violently shaking on the ground. Um, but I was kind of really in and out of it. I wasn't totally like mentally there. Um, but I do remember the chief kind of like holding up his hands and saying, wait, and he talked to the villagers, they all went, and apparently they went, went to this one single plant that was growing in the middle of the village, and they took leaves from it. And I figured out afterwards that this plant is very rare, hard to come by, and it was the only plant that was in the large nearby area. And so they took leaves from this plant, and he gave it to um, a few other people, and they started chewing up the plant uh, the, the leaves in their mouth and they get down on their knees and the chief starts spitting on my arm uh, with <laughs> the the leaf the bits of the leaf of the plant in his spit and he starts spitting on my arm and I was just like I have no idea what's going on and I don't really know if like spitting is the most beneficial thing to help me right now in this situation <laughs> but I was like you know what I'll go with anything because I am, you know, really out of it. And so he starts spinning on my arm and starts aggressively rubbing the spit into my arm. And immediately I notice it has this like menthol-like smell. I still don't know what this plant is, but it has this like menthol smell. And he starts like aggressively rubbing it into my arm. 
And after a few minutes of rubbing it, my arm started convulsing. The rest of my body was still convulsing, but my arm completely came to a stop. And so the other two people that were there helping started spitting on every other part of my body and rubbing the plant into my limbs uh, until I completely stopped convulsing. And it was like, in that moment, like, I don't know, maybe when I've told this story before, people are like, oh my God, that's so gross. But in that moment, I was like, Hiram, how many people can say that they're in the middle of the jungle living with the chief of a tribe being spit on in order to stop convulsing? Like, oh my God, talking about, talk about once in a lifetime experience. Like how incredible is this? Um, so I thought it was like, cool as fuck. And it worked. I stopped convulsing and I threw up a few more times after that, but I was completely fine. Literally the next morning I woke up like nothing happened and I was like, in essence, healed. Crazy, crazy story. I still don't know what the hell happened. I still don't know what that plant is. I have no idea how this chief knew to do that, but I respect him so much and was so grateful to him for helping me um, through that situation because who knows, that could have been a really bad situation. I have no idea what would have happened had we tried to go to the hospital, if we would have even made it to the hospital if I would have had to be flown to Fiji. I, I really don't know. So um, that's just a testament to how knowledgeable this chief was and how willing to help he was. And it, it, I really had so much respect because this was a very special plant to the community. It was, I don't know if it was sacred, but I could tell that this plant was held in very high regard. So I was so grateful um, that that happened. And looking back on it, I was like, wow, talk about an incredible experience. Like how many people can say that they've gone through that, that they've been able to experience that? That is so freaking cool. And it's a story that I look back on and laugh about and, and look back with so much gratitude because wow, talk about incredible. So that's one thing that happened to me while I was there. And then I have the final story. This is the story that I've wanted to share on my channel for years and by far, by a long shot, the coolest thing that has ever happened to me. This is the story of how I literally was almost killed. And, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> I don't mean that in a way that's it's like, oh my God, I like got close to an edge and I almost fell off and blah, blah. No, like I was literally almost killed in an absolutely crazy way that I don't think a lot of people can say they have almost been killed by. Let me just get into the details. So on the island that we were at, there was an extremely active volcano. Now it was on the other side of the island from where we were staying, but one of the most incredible parts of going to this island was going to see the volcano. Um, it's essentially what the island is known for. A, a lot of um, islands in Vanuatu are active volcanoes, um, but this one is known for being one of the biggest. Um, and it was a few hour drive away. So we got in the back of the truck um, that the chief had and we drove a few hours to go to this volcano. And oh my god, I can't even describe how absolutely incredible it was. If you guys ever have the chance to see a volcano in real life, an active volcano, take it. Do whatever you can to go to it because uh, I, it's, it is the most like life-changing, cool experience ever. Like you truly feel the power of nature and the power of, uh, of the earth. And it's like a completely existential awakening moment. Uh, and yeah, it, it's, it's so incredible. Anyway, we were driving uh, in the back of the truck for a few hours to get to the volcano across really rough roads. Uh, you're definitely like going through the middle of the jungle to get to this area. And when we are about like, I'd say like a 20 minute drive away from the volcano, we started noticing that it looked like it was snowing all around us. But what it actually was, was ash just falling out of the sky 
all around us. And apparently um, at that part of the island, um, ash is constantly falling, falling from the sky because of how active the volcano is to the point that it actually causes a lot of health problems in the people who live in those regions. So it's kind of, it's kind of sad for, for that. But um, there's so much ash that when you get to about a 20 minute drive from the volcano, it looks like a complete desert. So it's just mountains of ash everywhere. And you can even, uh, I didn't get to do this, but you can even snowboard on the ash if you want to. Um, I know some people have done it. Uh, not very many people do because like I said, where we were is a very remote region in Vanuatu, but you can snowboard down the mountains. And I even like went running and racing down the ash mountains there. It's absolutely incredible. So gorgeous. But yeah, basically these huge, this huge region of these ash mountains. And we got up to the base of the volcano and I went with my friend William um, to go to the top of the volcano. And it's a pretty good walk up there. You have to walk up pretty far. But we get to the top of the volcano. And essentially how this volcano was structured is that at the very top there was like two... Uh, two holes <laughs> of that lava was coming out of and at the part of the volcano that everyone usually goes you can see into one hole now when I say this is an active volcano you know you've seen those videos of like Hawaii or other places around the world where there's an active volcano where you'll see the lava glowing maybe every once in a while you'll see a spurt of some of the lava shooting up and you'll see like you know the lava lakes uh well not lakes the lava trail uh this was not that type of volcano. This is a huge mountain. And when I tell you it was active, I'm talking lava pieces shooting thousands of feet into the sky right in front of you. So incredible. I, uh, I just can't describe. I wish I could put into words just how life-changing it is to see this in person. But yeah, so you're seeing just these huge, like hundreds of pieces of lava shooting thousands of feet into the sky every few seconds. It's incredible. So we went to the top and I was already like, oh my God, this is so freaking cool. We went right around sunset time. Uh, so watching the sunset, seeing, you know, the volcano exploding, it was incredible. And then my friend William was like, hey, let's go to this other side of the volcano where you can see down into both holes. So I was like, okay, dope, I'm down. And um, as we're, you know, walking over there, cause it's like, I don't know, like a 20 minute walk over to that side of the mountain. Um, I neglected to notice a sign that was there that said, uh, do not go past this point. Uh, just didn't happen to see it. Um, my friend William, he had been to that part of the volcano multiple times. Uh, he had had, you know, natives, uh, locals take him there. Um, and we were with, um, local, uh, people from Vanuatu going to that side too. So, um, I was just like fully confident, didn't even notice. Um, come to figure out the reason we didn't see the sign was because it had been hit by lava and was covered in dried lava. So that had something to do with it. But, uh, anyway, we walked to that side right as the sun is going down. And I mean, William and I sit there for maybe like an hour and a half, almost two hours, just marveling at the absolute power of the volcano. And, it's so powerful to like to the point that when you're sitting there you feel the entire earth shaking like an intense earthquake every time it explodes so not only are you just seeing this absolute like glowing lava shooting up in the sky you're feeling the earth shake you can see down into like the core of the earth from where you're standing it's just so incredible and literally it was so amazing to the point that I told William I was like I want to stay here all night like are we able to just camp out here and just stay here like I will stay up all night watching 
because that's just how incredible it was. Oh, I want to go back so bad. It was amazing. Anyway, so we sat there for a while. The other people that were with, they decided to go back to the truck early and just chill there. And so William and I decided to stay there for a while. We're just watching, you know, marveling, all that kind of stuff. Um, and after a little while, we're like, okay, we're going to take a walk back. We're going to go back to where the truck is. So we're walking and uh, William is decides to take his GoPro out and is, you know, like taking a video of the volcano as we're walking back. Now, where we were, and I'll try to describe this in a way that paints a picture. So where we were on this side of the volcano, basically the first hole that you can look into and see, the lava shoots away from you. But where we were on this side, um, the, the lava also similarly shoots away from you, but it's kind of in a different direction um, from the first one. So where you are with the first one, there's absolutely no lava coming anywhere near you. Uh, but on this side, the lava was a little bit closer. So it was a little bit like, oh, this is cool. It's a little bit like risky. Um, and so, you know, we're walking back, watching, and all of a sudden we hear this massive boom. Uh, this huge boom. And to give you a uh, guy's perspective as well, uh, we were up there at a very safe time. So I, I can't remember what the scale is for volcanoes, but typically when a volcano is at, I think it's like at a level seven, uh, th they close the volcano down. They don't let you go up there. I think level nine, if you are someone who's an expert in volcanoes, please comment down below and clarify what I'm saying because I don't remember exactly how it works. But basically the intensity of a volcano can get up to level nine. Um, and when it gets anywhere, when it gets to a level seven, then they close down the volcano because level seven, it's not close enough for the lava to hit you, but it is, you know, risky enough where the volcano is super active that you don't want to be nearby. So when we went, it was like at a level, I don't know, like four or five. It was something really mild. Um, so anyway, sorry, I'll get into the story. We're walking back and all of a sudden we hear this ginormous boom. And both of us look up and we see thousands of lava pieces shooting up in the sky coming directly towards us. If you guys have seen 2012, the movie, and you know how there is kind of like that outdoorsy, adventurous guy who's standing on the, the mountain, I think it's Yellowstone, as the volcano is exploding and everything com is coming towards him. That's exactly what it looked like. <laughs> um, obviously it wasn't the, as huge pieces as 2012 because the earth is ending, but uh, the p pieces of the lava were literally, some of them were the size of cars. That's how big they were. And there was thousands of them just directly coming towards us and we're both just standing there and in that moment I was like okay we're we're gonna die we're for sure going to die because there were so many pieces shooting in the sky that I was like there's no way we're gonna be able to ditch this sure enough um William grabs my hand we're watching it come towards us, all of these bright, glowing, huge lava chunks in the sky coming directly towards us. We take two steps to the left and directly where we were standing, a lava piece this big lands right directly where we were standing. And immediately we take off running down the mountain, which by the way, if you are ever in a situation where a volcano is exploding and lava is coming towards you, don't run away from the lava pieces that are flying towards you because apparently you have a higher chance of dying than if you keep looking towards where the lava pieces are coming. But obviously we were a little panicked um, from almost dying. And as we're running down the side of the volcano, there are just lava pieces falling left and right all around us, huge pieces um, that are literally littering 
the ground where we're running and we're just hauling ass down the mountain. I'm like screaming. I'm just like, ah! like freaking out. I can't even describe the level of adrenaline to you guys. Um, I am 100% positive that there is no drug in the world that can even compare to the type of adrenaline rush that was going through our bodies at that moment. Um, it was insane. And I literally, like both of us, we were like, we're, we're going to die. Like, obviously we couldn't communicate that to each other because we're running away from lava. But we were like, yeah, we're, both of us were thinking like, yeah, we're going to die. We're literally going to be hit by a volcano. And on the chance that we don't die and a piece of lava hits our leg, I'm like, how the fuck do you even get rid of like a volcanic rash? Like what happens if my leg is severed off because of a piece of lava? What happens if I have lava burns all over me? Like we're fucking like five hour drive away from the closest hospital, which has very minimal supplies that I know for certain would not be sufficient in order to treat lava, let alone a plane flight to Fiji. So I was like, if literally any of this gets on us, we're, we're dead. Like th there's no way we're gonna survive. We take off running down the mountain, violently running, screaming, um, hooping and hollering, and we somehow managed to avoid all the pieces of lava that were flying in the sky. And literally as we stand there and we look back and we realize that the explosion is over, uh, we're looking around us and we can see these lava pieces just glowing and melting around us just all over the side of the mountain. It was so cool. <laughs> Maybe that sounds crazy to say. Honestly, in that moment, I was not thinking, oh my God, I'm terrified. I want to go home. I want to get out of here. Honestly, all I could think was like, this was the most cool experience that has ever happened to me. This will be the coolest thing that will ever happen. This will be the thing that I'm talking about for the rest of my life. And how freaking amazing is this that I can say that I almost was killed by a volcano exploding on me. I, like I said, I wouldn't even believe it myself had it not happened to me because it's such an insane story, but there is video footage out there. However, I don't have the video footage. Remember how I said that William had his GoPro on? Uh, he had the GoPro when the explosion happened running and there is a video clip out there. I think it was on his hard drive and like something happened to the hard drive. Maybe he still has video. I honestly don't know. I haven't talked to him in a little while, so it'd be great to reconnect and see if he does. But yeah, there is video footage of it happening. Um, Bro, it was insane. Like, uh, I just, I can't even describe the way we were feeling. And our adrenaline rush was so intense that for the next hour, like we were in ultra flight or fight or flight mode. Um, it just, it was like pumping through our bodies. Like both of us were just like erratically talking, like freaking out, um, just screaming, you know, making noises. Like the, we had so much adrenaline coursing through our veins and uh the adrenaline rush was so intense that by the time we started driving back and I was like standing in the back of the truck I was literally falling asleep standing up while the truck is like going over these insane roads going up and down like throwing us everywhere I was literally falling asleep because that's how bad my crash was after <laughs> all the adrenaline that I had experienced but wow what an incredible thing that happened. It, it was so wild. And honestly, at this point, I'm just like, nothing will ever beat that. Nothing I will ever do in my life will be ever as cool as that experience. Because how many people can say that that happened to them? Like, 
I guess people who like study volcanoes and you know who are consistently in those environments yeah but the side of the, the volcano that we were on it doesn't explode on that side it was very weird and William had told me he's like I've been to this side multiple times before I've chilled here for hours none of the explosions have even gotten close to this side but that's the thing when it comes to volcanoes you really don't know what's going to happen you really can't predict what is going to occur and you know, after that, I went back to the volcano again and we did not go to that side. And thankfully, um, when we came back, they were more strict about people not going to that side of the volcano, which I think is for their own good, um, judging from my personal experience. But oh, it was so freaking cool. And to this day, like, I want to see so many more volcanoes. I want to go back to that volcano and, you know, have an experience there again. Not the same experience, but I do want to go back and just reminisce. Um, I want to have so many more experiences with volcanoes because what an incredible experience. And who knows, maybe you think I'm crazy for that because it literally almost killed us, but bruh nothing I ever do will be as cool as that. It was such a wild experience. So yeah, that's the story of how I was almost killed by a volcano in Vanuatu. Um, yeah, let me know in the comment section down below if any of you guys have experienced the same. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was so cool. And honestly, looking back and reflecting back on my time in Vanuatu, I look back on it with such fondness because not only was it able to teach me so much about uh, how humans really should be living, how, you know, humans should be caring for one another, the value of us being able to, you know, live environments that are self-sufficient and seeing these people fully rely on the land for everything that they need in life and not wanting or desiring anymore, not having, you know, the, the types of greed and obsession with um, exploitation that we see so often in, uh, you know, a lot of the, the more developed I, I say developed not really believing in that word because in my opinion Vanuatu was far more developed from a moral and ethical standpoint because they had so many things so many lessons figured out like human kindness and morality that we in the societies that we are in likely that if you're listening to this video uh have you not yet figured out that and that we really need to figure out but um <clears throat> there's just the the way that they live life, the way that they experience the world, the way that they treat others was just such an example to me of like how we should really all be acting and, and the perspective that we have on life. And even to this day, when I get really caught up in work and to-dos and feeling swamped and like, oh my gosh, I gotta be working all the time. I gotta make a life for myself. I gotta, I'll have all these precious and expectations and responsibilities and all this stuff. I reflect back on my time in Vanuatu where I was like, you know what? Life was very simple. That's how it was supposed to be. And the thing that matters is being able to live life in a way that you can look back on and be proud of by treating others with kindness, by not being too caught up in the things of the world and focusing on the the real moral values that matter more than anything else. Um, Vanuatu taught me so much about how we should respect nature, uh, the power of nature and just how incredible our world is and our earth is and how we need to protect it. Like being able to see the volcano or the oceans there and the, the coral reefs and the incredible jungle and all the animals that live there. Like it was so amazing and gave me such a respect for the earth and the planet. Um, and I wish that everyone could experience what I was able to see then because it definitely helped to cement my personal beliefs and, uh, 
the importance that I feel surrounding protecting the environment and protecting the planet. And it, it was such a beautiful opportunity for me to take a step away from just so much of the bullshittery um, that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis in our societies by being so caught up in, in material things and in pursuing success and all these different types of constructs that really don't matter at the end of the day. And I know I didn't talk about it in the, it, I know I didn't talk about it in this episode as well, but um, the work that was being done there and the opportunities that were being uh, provided and connected to families and children in Vanuatu was so incredible too. If you guys want to hear an episode about my nonprofit work, because I've been able to work for a few different nonprofits. Um, oh, did I even mention that I was hired to work for the nonprofit? This one? I don't think I mentioned that. Sorry. Um, I was, I've was i been able to work uh, for a few nonprofits in the past um, and learned a lot of lessons about it. And so if you guys want me to share an episode, I would love to deep dive into that because Vanuatu and my other experiences have taught me so much about what nonprofits should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing. But this was a perfect example, I think, of a nonprofit that was doing a really good job of ensuring that children in Vanuatu were being connected with the education that they deserved in order to uh, better provide for their communities in order to, you know, be connected with uh, opportunities to really uh, grow themselves and change their lives uh, and pursue whatever dreams they want to pursue. Um, but overall, I can walk away from that experience saying that I am so grateful for the really valuable life lessons I learned while there and uh, the people that I met and how much they showed me about the things that really matter and are important in life. Far beyond the experiences of, you know, having convulsions and being healed by a plant or the circumcision ceremony or being almost killed by a volcano. Far beyond that, those are the things that I really walked away from that experience with um, being very fond of and grateful for. So yeah, those are some of my stories from Vanuatu. That is definitely not all the stories. There were so many more things that happened there. So if you guys want more story times in the future, let me know. Um, I really want to continue these episodes of talking about my own personal travel stories uh, because from the other countries I've traveled to, there's also some insane experiences too that I would just love to get into. So let me know if you guys want to hear about that. Make sure you subscribe to the Just Position YouTube channel and leave a comment. Let me know what you thought of these experiences or let me know if you want to hear more stories or more in-depth experiences of my time in Vanuatu. This has been a production of Ramble, an Odyssey studio, new episodes every Thursday, wherever you listen to your podcasts, whether it be Spotify, Odyssey, Apple, wherever you listen to them. And thank you guys so much for listening or watching and I will see you in the next episode. Mwah.